are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from, everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us, whether it's in person or online. And uh, today we're starting a new series called Reclaim the Table. And so instead of an altar, we have this amazing table. And um, I don't know, the next few weeks we're going to talk about what are tables? What do they mean? What do they symbolize? Now, I want you to think of maybe some meaningful experience you had at a table. I've had a lot of meaningful, actually, all of the meaningful experiences that I've had in life, if I really think about it, have been around a table whether that's a dining room table, or maybe it's an office, a conference table. Uh, maybe it's a restaurant table. Maybe it's a bar table. Maybe, you know, life, we do life around tables. If you think about it at home, even a countertop, right? It's a table. It's a service. It's a table where we prepare things. And I want you to think of a time of a meaningful time in your life where maybe you were sitting around a table. I have tons of stories of when I was younger, especially this time of year, you know, our families would get together for the holidays and we'd share meals. And some of my fondest memories are of that. Uh, but the story I want to share this morning is from when I was 13 years old. A ref, I, I always say things in exact terms. I have no clue how old I was. I was probably a young teenager. Who knows? But uh, I'm a growing young man, uh, both this way and this way at the time. And so um, we're sitting down for dinner. I'm the oldest of five. So I have four siblings, and we're sitting around a table, and we didn't have a lot. Uh, we grew up with not a whole lot of, of stuff in our house, and there were times of the month, uh, because we were on government programs growing up, we were on food stamps and Section 8 housing and all that stuff, and so there were, we get to the end of the month, and there wouldn't be a lot of food in the house. And so it was one of those times during the month, and we're sitting down for a meal, and uh, if I remember right, it was, in my head at least, it was spaghetti. And so we're eating spaghetti, and now I was known as a human garbage disposal. So when everybody else is done with their meal, you just give it to Mikey, right? Mikey will eat it. And so uh, that was me. And so we're sitting down for a meal, and I eat all mine, and I'm 13, right? I'm growing like a weed, and I'm, I'm like still hungry, so I'm just waiting. Y'all do this? The table, you just wait. You know, now my son does it. He just he eats whatever's left over. But I'm sitting there waiting for food, and, I'm, and my mom looks at me. She's like, are you still hungry? And I said, yeah, I'm still hungry. And she goes, well, here, have mine. And I was like, well, you know, I don't, uh, okay. <laughs> right? And so I took hers and I ate it too. And, and I'm like, mom, you didn't have to do that. And uh, now I'm sure all of us have heard this next phrase. She looked at me and she says, you know, one day you'll understand. You ever get that from your parents? Like one day, I don't know when that day is, but at some point in my life, I'm supposed to understand what she's doing. All I know is, is I was hungry and she made some kind of sacrifice in her life so that I could eat. And I was, I was thankful for it, but I, I didn't really know, I didn't really know what it meant. Now, I believe tables are the place that we come to, that we've, we make sacrifices, that we talk about the most important things of life, but we've forgotten this. We've forgotten it. And I hope during COVID, I hope that it's brought us back to the table, but I think we've lost the art of sharing a meal around a table. By show of hands, or if you're at home, please, um, please let us know, how many of you actually sit down with other people, like your family, to a meal at least once a week? Let me know at home, all right, twice a week, three times a week. Almost no hands are left. We don't eat around the table as much as we used to. And I think we've lost something as a culture because of this. Now, 
I've removed the altar, right? The thing that's normally here is called an altar, and I've put a table in its place, and there's a reason for that. And that's because the altar actually is a table. We call it the altar table. And we have deep roots in our faith of why we gather around altars. Uh, the altar is where we made sacrifices to. I guess, I guess we didn't make sacrifices in altar, but in our history, in our faith history, in the history of people throughout all of time, altars were important. Altar was the place where you made to come sa- make sacrifices. And so people would make sacrifices to their gods, right? A god was mad or angry. Usually that god was weather of some kind, right? There was a drought or there was too much rain or not enough rain. And they would make sacrifices to their gods in hopes that rain would come or drought would end. Things like this. So there's pestilence or disease of some kind. Well, the Christian faith comes along and adopts these same practices, but in a different way. And we read about this, uh, we read about this in Genesis 8. So in Genesis 8 is the very first time we read about an altar being built. Uh, So Noah has built the ark. He's gotten all the animals on it. The flood has happened. The waters have receded. Noah gets off the ark, and it says, this is the first time we read about in the Bible, he builds an altar. And on the altar, he burns something, right? He makes a sacrifice. He makes a sacrifice. He burns something. And the story goes in such a way that God smells this burnt offering, And it pleases God. And God says, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. Of course, he's talking about the flood. He says, I'm never going to send a flood again, all these things. But there's this idea of smell. Now, how many of you, I consider myself a smeller. Uh, I call it pregnancy nose because when my wife was pregnant, she could smell anything a mile away. And and so I have a, a very sensitive to smells. Now, I find it interesting that it talks about God smelling something. And why is that important? Why would a smell be important? Now, psychologically, science would tell us that there is something to this. Now, we would have more and more altars built. It wouldn't end with Noah and the flood and him building an altar. Moses would come and free the people from Egypt, and they would go out into the wilderness for 40 years, and they would spend it in exile And at some point, Moses gets the Ten Commandments. I preached about this a few weeks ago, right? He gets the Ten Commandments, and they build this beautiful piece of art, this tent. And there's all this garb, and they build an altar. But in this case, they build a second altar. So they have one altar for sacrifices, and the second altar is for incense. Of course, what is incense? You smell incense, right? And it's a symbol that as the incense burns and billows up, that's how our prayers work, right? That there's something happening when we give of ourselves when we sacrifice. There's also this notion that smell, right? Science would tell us that smell can trigger a reminder or a memory more than any of the other senses. Do you know that? I mean, it makes sense because when you smell something, you ever smell like homemade bread? Oh, there's nothing better than homemade bread. Or, or like home-baked cookies. My wife would tell you that it's not Thanksgiving until she comes down in the morning and smells the celery and onions and thyme and sage. She smells that cooking. Now, scientifically, the reason why smells trigger so many memories that we remember is that uh, it, it circumvents the part of the brain that slows it down and going to our emotions and into our memory. Now, there are those of you that are in the field that's like, there's, there's medical words for this. I'm not going to bore you with the medical words, uh, mainly because I don't remember them. But... There is, there is there's something about smell. It's the only sense that circumvents uh, some process in the brain. And you can, a smell can trigger a memory more than anything else. And so smells, right, cause us to remember. The point of an altar and of a table is to help us to remember, to make sacrifice to remember something. 
And I think we've forgotten what the important things are that we need to remember. We struggle with this. But throughout the history of time, this is a part of who we are. This goes back to our core and to our makeup. Now, a lot of you, we're going to celebrate communion today. If you know what communion is, communion is these, this practice within the Christian faith where we mimic or we remember what Jesus did with his disciples. Now, Jesus spent his entire ministry around tables, whether they were celebration tables or food tables. He went into people's houses and he spent time with them. He invested in them and he built relationships all around tables. Everything Jesus did was around a table. And I believe Jesus, I don't believe, Jesus does invite us into that space. And so we have, um, you you know, the Last Supper. You you all know what I'm talking about? Jesus walks into the restaurant. He's like, table, you know, for 24, right? And and, and he comes in and, you know, know, the the hostess is sitting there and is like, oh, Jesus. And he's like, yes. You know, and so Christ, table for 24, you know, and and so they go and all, they all sit down and, and they're taking the drink orders. You remember the story in the Bible, right? A second Michael verse four. And so like they're, they're taking their drink orders and uh, some of the guys are like, I want some wine. They're ordering wine. And Jesus is like, hold on guys, <laughs> hold on. I got this. We'll just take water, right? Some of you, that joke's going to hit you on the way home. Okay. Um, water to wine. Yeah. Okay. So that's not how the story goes. The story goes, Jesus invites his disciples to go and prepare a Passover meal. Jesus comes into Jerusalem the week of Passover. And so they are celebrating with this meal, and we read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. That means that uh, two of the authors had one of the authors' transcripts, and they were mirroring to try to get the word out to everybody. And so they wrote their own versions of the story. And they all line up, and they all share very similar stories. But then you have this fourth story of somebody who was with, with Jesus. His name was John. And John writes this other story. And now, when I read the Bible, I'm always interested, like, what's the story behind the story? Do you read books this way? Like, you read a story, like, what's the story trying to tell me? How can I appreciate this on a deeper level? And the way I would describe that is when we read the Bible, what's not only the story behind the story, but what's at the heart of it? What's at the core? What's the divinity of the story? How can we learn from this? How can this motivate us? How can this change us? I believe that when we read John, John always gives us, like, the story behind the story. So he talks about the Passover meal that he has with the disciples. He talks about the Last Supper. But John has this whole other story in there. And I want to read that uh, this morning. If you go to John 8, uh, it talks about this. Now, I'll start at verse 14. So they're at the table, right? They're sharing, this is the Last Supper, right? Table for 24, they're all in the center. Actually, for being honest, the table actually would have been a U. It would have been U-shaped. So it would have been come out like this, here like this. And they would have been seated all the way around it so they could all see each other. Um, but let's, let's read what John has to say about the Last Supper. He says, So he got up from the table and took off his robes. Picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. So Jesus gives up from the meal, and he uh, disrobes, and he, he takes a towel. He says, Then he poured water into a washbin. Right, so similar to something like this, he would have had uh, something. He poured the water into a washbin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord... Are you going to wash my feet? Now, how many of you are interested in washing feet? Yeah, so this morning, that's why this is here. I know we did the baptism earlier, but it's no longer holy water, so we're going to use it. I'm just kidding. I'm not really doing that to you guys. Okay. Um, It's an awkward thing. It's a very, I mean, to wash somebody's feet, it's it's just awkward. But to wash somebody's feet, what do you have to do? You have to kneel down in front of them. 
You're honoring them. You're saying that I am no better than you are. So this is what Jesus does. And Simon's like, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. What is Simon telling you? You're better than me. You're not going to do this thing. Uh, Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. Does that sound familiar? Have we, we heard that before in our life? No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And so Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't have a place with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. Peter's like, Jesus is like, you, you have to do this. This is important. Let me do this. Does Peter get it? What's going on? Peter has no clue. Peter thinks it's about washing his feet and his hands and his head, right? Now, do we do this in life? Are we like Peter? Do we do things that we read about in the Bible? Right? We, we call them holy and, and sacred sacraments. And we do them, but I think we forget the, the, the why behind it. What's the story behind the story? What's Jesus really doing? What is it about the story that we should appreciate? That Jesus even says to Peter, you know, you don't know what's going on now, but later. Later something's going to come from this. You're going to understand what I'm doing. And so Jesus responded, he said, those who have bathed need only to have their feet washed because they are completely clean. You disciples are clean, but not every one of you. He knew who would betray him. That's why he said not every one of you is clean. Now, what's interesting is what, who he's talking about, and he comes back to it later. He's talking about Judas. So if you don't know the story, uh, Jesus has 12 disciples, and they're his friends. They're his buddies. They're hanging out. These guys would have been in their 20s, right? There's probably, there's, I don't know. When we're talking about smells. You may not have, have been around them a whole lot. So I'm just trying to paint the picture. Like, the feet would have been nasty. Okay. And so, uh, okay. So this is, what, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And... Um, uh, one of the disciples, his name was Judas. I'm sure you've heard this term. Judas betrays Jesus, and Judas, for uh, a sum of money, for some silver coins, gives Jesus up to the authorities to be crucified, to be murdered. And what's interesting, though, is Jesus doesn't, like, uninvite him from the table. Like, they're having this meal together, this thing that we hold sacred, that we do. Uh, some churches do it every week. We do it once a month, but I'm here making the argument that this is just a normal meal. It wasn't just a one-time thing. But, but Judas is at that table. Judas was, was one of the 13 people sitting around that table. I think it's important to remember that. Because what do we like to do to the people that we don't like or that disagree with us, right? Right? All the Republicans in the room, yeah, we know the Democrats. All the Democrats in the room, yeah, the Repu we don't like the, right? Because there's an election in two days, so i got to talk about this a little bit. We don't invite everybody to the table the model Jesus set for us was everybody was at the table. Okay. Uh, after he washed his disciples' feet, he put his robe on and returned to this place, to his place at the table. He said to them, um, do you know what I've done for you? Right? So he goes back to this thing. Do you know what I'm doing? Do you understand what's happening? Are you getting the story behind the story? Are you seeing the God in this? Are you seeing the divine in what I'm telling you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, just as I have done, you must also do. I assure, assure you, servants aren't greater than, than their masters, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. And he goes on, there's this encounter with Judas. Judas actually gets up and leaves. And he says something new. He says, I give you a new commandment. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. That's a new commandment. We go through thousands of years of history, and now 
Now we're to love each other. Isn't that interesting? It takes Jesus coming onto the scene and meeting with people to, to give a new commandment. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. I find it interesting that this all happens around a table. To our very core, to our very roots, who we are in our humanity, everything revolves around tables. Our ancestors made sacrifices, actual animal sacrifices on a table. This afternoon, a chicken's going to make a sacrifice for my family on our counter. And its wings are going to be amazing. But we do. This is where we make sacrifice. And of course, Jesus is like, don't make it about the thing, right? It's actually not about the table. Table's just a symbol. The altar's just a symbol. The food is just a symbol. The feet, the washing, the water, all the things, the wine, it's just a symbol. What's the real thing behind all this? Human nature is we want to make it about communion, and we want to do the thing, and then we, what do we do? We check it off our list. I've done my Jesus thing for the week. Check. I've gone to church. Check. Does eating a piece of bread and drinking a little piece of wine, does that actually make you a better person? I would argue no. Thank you. Whoever said no? Yeah. Yeah. So let's make this an interactive sermon. Yeah. All right. So, so it doesn't necessarily make us a better person, but it, it's trying to teach us something. Jesus is, is saying, you may not understand now, so we still do it. And maybe you'll understand later. So when does later come? When do we actually grasp what Jesus is trying to teach us? The disciples had no clue. Uh, and, and early Christians, uh, people would look at early Christians and they thought they were cannibals. Because Jesus said weird things like, take this and eat it, it's my body. And take and drink this wine, it's my blood. People were like, this is crazy. What is, what is he saying? What are these weird things? Any literal, no, don't raise your hands. Any literalists in the room? Uh, do you take things literally sometimes? I do, sometimes. Uh, I work with somebody, so I'm not going to say that her name is Amy. And she tends to, when we have conversations, she likes to take me literally, right? She likes, I, I'll say a thing, then she'll throw it back in my face later when I, when I go and say something else. Like, well, you said this. I'm like, that's not what I meant, right? We all know how this works. When you, like when you're talking to your children or your spouse or somebody you work with, listen to what I mean, not what I say. You know this, right? Yeah. Nobody? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to keep preaching until I get an amen. Come on now. There it is. Yeah, come on, you, you guys do this, right? We do this all the time. What is the message behind the message? Oh, a couple months ago, um, I had an epiphany. Now, of course, I have children of my own. My oldest is now in her second year of college down in Warrensburg. I call it Warrensburg because I can't remember. It was CMSU when I was there. Now it's some version of C's and U's and M's, but one's Methodist and one... Anyway, that's a whole other story. So she's in Warrensburg, and in Warrensburg, they have a pilot program and a flight training program. And your first year, they put you through the ringer, and they, you know, they, you take all these classes. But the second year, you start your flight time. Now, the flight time um, is actually cost more than the, the degree. And we all know how much degrees cost these days, right? Like, the cost of college just keeps doing this. Of course, incomes don't reflect that, but the cost of college keeps doing this. And so I have rule in my house. Um, we will help you pay for college. So, you know, uh, we pay a third, her, her mom pays a third, and she works and pays a third. That's the agreement we have. And that works for the college tuition and books. But when the flight time came on this year, uh, I said, you're going to have to go get loans for this, right? And we all love student loans, right? And so... Uh, so she goes and applies for a few loans and grants, and she's only able to get a very small amount. And so we're sitting at our table, and we're having this conversation. And we're, we're talking about this, and 
She's like, Dad, I really, I really want to do this. I promise I'm going to be all in on this. And, and so I look at her, and, and, and my wife and I had, had talked, and I said, you know, we're going, we're going to do this for you. We're going to be able to take care of this. We can make some changes in our life. We can make some sacrifices. And we're going to be able to, you're going to be able to do this through a combination of some of the loans and some, some, some resourcing, some a reallocation of, of resources. We're going to be able to send you to, And so she's sitting there, and, and she's in tears. And of course, I'm crying. She's like, Dad, this is my dream. Think this is my dream come true. And all of a sudden, I experienced it. I was like, oh, this is what my mom was talking about. Oh, she was making sacrifices for me. And, and oh, now I understand. Oh, and Jesus, Jesus invites us into a space that we sacrifice everything that we have. And it's only in that sacrifice that we actually can experience the thing that he's talking about. We can't experience it just by doing the thing, doing the ritual. We actually have to invest our time and money and energy and effort into things. And it's only then when we give it all up in a way that we're able to experience the thing that we're chasing in the first place. And I was like, oh, that's what's happening I can't experience the thing that Jesus wants from me until I give it all up. And the point of a table, the origins of an altar in a table, is that we make sacrifices on it. Our words and our conversations become about sacrifice, about ways we can help each other, about ways we can give back to our community, about new ideas and new creation of ideas when we come together to love those around us, to invest in those around us. The table the food, the water, the wine, all the things, those are just tools. It's just the mechanism that we use, that we use to, to, to accomplish the sacrifice. I hope today that you have this epiphany of what Jesus was trying to get us to do. Jesus wasn't trying to get us together once a month to celebrate his body and his blood. Jesus was trying to get us that every single time we sit down for a meal, that our conversations be about sacrifice, that the things we talk about and the things we do be about others instead of ourselves. Because what's the default? The default is that we think about ourselves. The early Christians couldn't quite figure this out. This is nothing new. This is not a new struggle that we're dealing with. Uh, the early church, uh, they were getting together and they were having meals. It wasn't a sacrament yet. They were just getting together having meals. And all the rich people would come together at the table and they would get there before the poor people and they'd eat all the food. And Paul's like, y'all, this is not what, what the table is meant for. The table is the great equalizer. At the table, we are all equal. At the table, there's enough for everybody. And so we read stories about this, right? Jesus feeds thousands of people. There's enough. We have enough resources. The point of a table is that we come together and we intentionally talk about ways in which we can sacrifice our own wants and needs for those around us. And I believe it is the church's job, this community's job, to give you the resources, the tools in which you can live that out in your life. I want everybody to get their phone out. If you're at home, get your phone out. Listen, we've been through this. I'm going to wait till you get your phone out. I'm going to, all right, get your phones out. I want you to text, yeah, there it is. Text that number. Text table to that number. 
And as you do that, I'm going to talk about what you're going to get. This is very important. As a community, we're all going to be doing this this week. Every week I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge that hopefully you leave here and you go, you know what, I can go do that. I can make a difference somewhere. I can be a part of something that is greater than myself, a part of a collective. We call this faith, right, that we participate in these things. This is a placemat. And where do placemats go? They go at tables. So when you text that number, you're going to get this in a text format. And it has questions on it. And you're gonna, I'm going to have these at my house tonight. Because tonight's when my oldest daughter, she comes over and we usually have dinner. It's my favorite day of the week. And it has things on it like, if you had to choose a name, what would you pick? These are just conversation starters, right? Who is your favorite grade school teacher and why? What is the thing that you have done this year that you are proud of the most? In my house, uh, we used to say things like, what were your wins and losses for the week? What can we celebrate with you, right? Uh, if you know anything about Methodism and John Wesley, who's kind of the unintended founder of Methodism, John Wesley had these things called small groups, and they'd get together, and he had different language. He would say, where did you see God this week? I would say, where have you seen good, right? Because when you say, where have you seen God this week, people think of miracles, and they want some mir- miraculous magic thing, and I'm like, no, you have to find it in the small things. And so we say, where, where have you had success? Where have you seen good? And then where have you struggled? Another way to say that is, how can we pray for you? So I'm gonna encourage everybody. Uh, we have some of these, actually. Out at the Welcome Center, these are laid out. You can grab one on your way out if you want one. But if you're at home, um, or if you simply want to, just print that out, uh, set it at your table, and may your conversations this week. And my challenge to you is this, it's very specific. Don't just have a meal with your family once this week. I'm challenging you to have a meal three times with your family. That's going to be difficult for some of you. But not just have a meal. So don't just do it to check the box. Don't sit there in silence. Don't sit there with your cell phones in your hands. Put them in a basket. Put them in a bin somewhere else. Sit there and be present. Be in the moment. Share stories. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about this specific table. And why this specific table is going to be very crucial and important to our community. We're going to be talking about how do we incorporate our tables at work, at our office, at our desks, right? These are all tables. Um, As you think on those things, text a number. As you think of ways to talk about sacrifice and giving back, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity um, to be a part of something that is greater than ourselves. God, to participate in this life. God, to sit down at a table and to share a meal. God, in a few moments, we're going to be doing that. I just ask that you bless this symbol that we all have, this symbol that is juice and a little wafer. God, as we take it, as we eat it, may we be reminded, may we remember, God, as we even smell it, may we remember what is the most important thing. The thing you invite us into, which is to make sacrifices. God, we thank you for these opportunities. We thank you for these blessings, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So this morning, uh, underneath your seat, you will find, because we can't do communion, right, up here anymore like we used to, but you'll find one of these little cups. And in the top, there's this little wafer that I can never get open right. There it is. You're going to take that little wafer out. If you're at home... Uh, I know I was watching the feed earlier. Somebody asked, we, we, we told everybody, you know, get something ready for communion. And somebody's like, what about candy? I'm like, perfect. Candy tax. Take your children's candy, pull it out. 
and we're just going to, we're going to eat this. And hopefully that's a symbol to remember, right? Remember that we are called to something greater, greater than ourselves and in the community. And if we could serve, we would have like fresh baked bread and you would smell it, right? And it would make you remember maybe a time with your grandparents or something growing up, something around a table. But, but there's juice. Doesn't smell like anything. It's not alcoholic, just so you know. Gluten-free. We're going to take that juice, we're going to drink it. We're going to remember that we are invited into a space. And one of the ways we remember this is that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. That he gave of his body and of his blood. That he gave of all of it, everything, so that we could remember to do the same thing in our lives. As you reflect on those things, let's go to God in song. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.